Aaron Nequist is a worship leader, songwriter, and pastor in the Chicago area. Currently, he's curating a discipleship-focused, formational, practice-based community at Willow Creek called The Practice. He joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about bringing the beauty of the liturgical practices into the modern day. I'm Ashton Gustafson, and this is Let the Music Play. We are a community that doesn't just want to believe things about Jesus, but is trying to learn how to rearrange our lives in order to put his words into practice for the sake of the world. So, so, so we're, what's the difference? The difference in, is we haven't um, intentionally practiced the kinds of practices that allows God to make us into the kinds of people that can love our enemies. Hey everybody, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. I am so excited today uh, to have Aaron Nequist join us. Some of you guys may know him uh, from different projects he's done. Um, He's been involved with the practice at Willow Creek in Chicago. He's got a thing called thenewliturgy.com that's been uh, a beautiful blessing in my life. Um, And honestly, I've just found a lot of parallel and uh, synonymous paths with Aaron uh, that I've had over the last few years. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I think you've got something to teach us. Uh, Would you chat with us for a little bit? So with that being said, Aaron said yes. And uh, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. So glad to be with you. Absolutely, man. So uh, where do you begin when someone asks you about your work or you introduce yourself uh, to someone about who you are and the work that you put into the world? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're just diving in. We're just getting it. I love it. it. I love it. Um, probably, I mean, probably the most poignant moment was right out of college. Um, I had been a Christian, grew up in a Christian home, um, uh, been involved with church stuff my whole life, went to a Christian college, um, graduated, got a job at a church and my faith completely imploded. Hmm. And so this is probably two years out of college and I was a worship leader at a at a big church leading songs I didn't believe in. Wow. And it was just one of those like, what am I going to do? And <laughs> some of it was just, you know, oh no, am I losing my faith? Some of it was, this is all I've ever known. Mm-hmm. You know, this, uh, this is the story of my life. And so I was like on my way out. I just couldn't reconcile too many things. And the, you know, to condense a very long, very dark story, a friend ended up giving me the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Mm. And I, I remember reading about the kingdom of God and this whole idea that, you know, the, the story of Jesus is not just say a prayer so you can go to heaven someday and then don't do any bad stuff. Um, the invitation of Christ is join me in the healing and the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, at first I was like, wait a second. How have I never heard about the kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> it's all Jesus talked about. Right. You know, I'm a Christian who thought I was following Jesus, except I'd never heard the thing that he talked the most about. It's yeah. just wild. So anyways, um, so that kind of launched me into a, 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 a different 
kind of faith journey that took me to Mars Hill in Grand Rapids with Rob Bell. And I was the worship leader there for a number of years. And that's where I discovered, you know, Richard Rohr and Ronald Rollheiser yeah. and a whole um, different stream of spirituality, of, of Christian spirituality. And so that was just the beginning. So. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So you 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 read this information uh, or the, these beautiful writings, which I, I think you and I have shared similar paths in this. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of jargon in, in the church that's about tomorrow and then and what happens when. And, right. and then all of these writers are going, yeah, but then Jesus talks about, have you seen the birds? Have, have you seen the flowers yeah. lately? There's, yeah. what about yeah. now? Um, right. And I think that's the beauty and the awakening that's happening right now in the world um, yep. is about waking up to now. What is going on now? Where is healing yep. Redemption, resurrection happening now. Totally. Yep. That really resonates. And so then, the, as a person who's been involved with churches, I had to look at what we were doing on a Sunday. Yeah. And this whole idea of sing por- four pop songs in a hymn and then listen to a 45 minute lecture, like that's what we're doing with lasers and smoke. Right, right. That <laughs> helps us live every moment. Yeah. Every day, like, no, it doesn't at all. Yeah. It takes us out of the world. It says, come here for a spectacular hour and 15 minutes, and then try to let that sustain you all week, and then come back and we'll do it again. Right. Right. Um, which is the opposite of, um, let us teach you have how to have eyes to see all week long mm-hmm. in each moment. And so anyways... Yeah, and so so you start uncovering um, these great beacons of light that have literally been around thousands of years. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't know why we missed them. I, I really I don't have that answer. I don't need yeah. that answer to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I'm just glad to know that that they're back. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you start uncovering this liturgical tradition, which for some people that may be listening in, believers, non-believers, they may hear liturgy, liturgical, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, time out. I don't right. know about all that. When, right. when, when you experience that, though, when you start to introduce people uh, to this beautiful, historical um, practice, where do you begin with saying, like, here's, this is the contemplative, this is the liturgy, this is, this is yeah. some of the seeds we're sowing? Yeah. Well, um, I'll start with a story that a mentor of mine, John Whitfleet, who is involved with uh, Calvin Institute of Worship, um, he told me this little analogy and it like blew my mind. He just said, okay, when you have a little kid who's, that is pre-language, so maybe a year old or something like that, the, the biggest gift you can do is to give this kid language to help him or her express what's going on inside because hmm. otherwise it's just grunts and points and yes. you know so you teach them to say i'm hungry or i'm scared or i'm hurt or you know these things and it's really beautiful but at a certain point a good parent has to give their kids language that the kid would never choose to express but as this kid uses that language, forms them into the kinds of adults we know they need to become. Wow. So, for example, that's why we teach our kids to say, I'm sorry, or please, or 
you know, any number of things that they would, you know, no kid naturally just say, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and as the kid practices saying thank you, which he'd never naturally say, it forms him into being a grateful person. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can see the analogy. I realized like as a worship leader, at that point, I'd been a worship leader professionally for like 15 years. And I realized that 15 years of Sundays, I had only been offering expressive forms of worship. Hmm. What do you, Christian, naturally need to say? And let me help you say it. Now, that's all, that's fantastic. And, you know, you look at the Psalms and the Psalms are full of this kind of expressive worship. But um, I never even considered a more formative practice. Yeah. So, um, so for me, the liturgy is not like, wow, old stuff is cool now. Let's do old stuff. Right. That it's cool right now and it won't be five minutes from now. So that (laughs) I'm not concerned with like liturgy is the new, is the new thing. I'm concerned with what forms us into Christ likeness for the sake of the world. And so when we look back you know, for us, when we were starting the practice and figuring out what our liturgy was going to be like. And by the way, liturgy just means the work of the people. Yeah, so Every good. church has a liturgy. Yeah. Um, a, a more rock and roll church has two fast songs, announcements, one earnest song, offering, message. Like, yeah. we all have a liturgy, um, but some form us, but, but they all form us in different ways. Maybe yeah. that's a good yeah. So I was looking back at some of the historic liturgies, like what is common, what is different, what and one thing we noticed is every tradition has a confession and has some words of assurance. Hmm. And I was just realizing, man, in a in a more pop church, um I've never we we would never do a confession. That yeah. feels so weird and Catholic and uh, and so we said, but there's some sort of historic wisdom, so let's do it. And I'm telling you what happens every Sunday. We just did it again last night, where we um, we pray some sort of historic confession together, and then we leave a minute or two of silence to just hold something from the week before God. Hmm. And then in that space, someone reads the words of assurance, often from the scriptures, like, you know, as far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed, you know, and it is powerful. So anyways. Beautiful. Well, and let me ask you this. Have you noticed as you do look back and you see all of these practices that, um, the only trends that have really changed are like external trends, but like the interior questions uh, of the soul. Like we've all been asking this stuff for a sure. long, long time. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And so, like, yep. yeah, the 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 external way uh, information is exchanged. Churches yep. do different things, uh, and even outside of the church. I mean, let's just not leave it there. That all changes, but like the soul has been asking, "Who am I?" Right. <laughs> what's going right. on? What's going on right. here? Um, yeah. Am I going to be okay? Will there be enough? Right. Are, are you even there? Um, right. And yep. and and what I've found is um, holding hands with brothers and sisters from different denominations of the faith uh, is that man they've gifted me recently um, with just some language that like 
I wanted to, I wanted to say, I wanted to pray with, I wanted to lead with, uh, but, but my tradition hadn't given me that. Right. Um, and so right. when you meet the Richard Rohrs of the world, the, uh, J. Philip Newells of the world, um, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you for this gift. They, they, yep. they really, really, I think one of the best things they've done, I'm chasing words here. They, they get to the essence and the heart of what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Um, and they yep. provide a great space for that. Yep. Yep. And they're coming from a, a, a different vantage point that allows um, us to see reality from a perspective we just couldn't possibly from our vantage point. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are raging against, you know, just let me just speak from white even American evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um I have a lot of friends raging against it, and I agree with with almost everything. I mean, we. Uh, but there's a difference between saying our tradition is all wrong; we need to jump ship and find something else, and saying our tradition has some profound beauty in it, but it is so narrow. Yeah, and yep. so it's not that it's. Uh, yeah, it is one slice of this enormous whole. Yeah. And so one of my favorite writers, uh, Ken Wilber, it talks a lot about the include and transcend idea. Absolutely. Yep. And that has been really meaningful to me because we all love to take wherever our last step was and demonize that. Yeah. But our last step is actually what got us here. Yeah. So um, everything yeah. belongs. Everything belongs, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, the work of the people. Liturgy yeah. means the work of the people. What What has that meant for you? What has that meant for the the, the people you've been entrusted with? Because um, when I realized that's what this meant, yeah. I was like, "Oh, dang, we got some work to do." Like sure. that, that's that's kind of what it's meant for me. What is what has that idea coupling liturgy with the work of the people meant for you? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell kind of a silly, a silly analogy. Um, imagine that you're kind of out of shape and you, um, say, you know what, I'm going to change this. You sign up for the Chicago marathon, like nine months from now, and you go to the local lifetime fitness or YMCA or whatever, and you go in and you say, all right, I'm really out of shape, but I want to run a marathon in nine months. Will you help me? And they say, oh, we'd love to. This is great. Come to the back room. We have um, kind of this U2 cover band going to do a little concert. And then we have one of our uh, trainers who's going to give a 45-minute lecture on marathon running. And so you go, and the, the, the band is great, and the, the lecture is really smart and inspiring. And at first, it's, it's kind of helpful because you're like, you learn some things and all that. But like... When they say, all right, come back next week and we'll do this same thing again and then come back next week, we'll do... you realize I'm actually not one single step yeah. closer to being able to run a marathon. Yeah. And obviously you can see the Absolutely. obvious uh, heavy-handed uh, analogy. <laughs> but so, you know, what would a lifetime fitness do? Well, they would come down and meet you on the floor and work with your actual life and your actual body, your actual strengths and weaknesses, 
and help you um, learn a series of practices of um, this is how, you know, this is the fitness part of it. This is the cardio part. This is the, they would help you become the kinds of the kind of person who can run a marathon when that day approaches. Yeah. And so that's one of the great uh, Dallas Willard things that I, I feel like sticks with me. He he talked about when he was writing, you know, it's probably 20 years ago, he said something about this whole um, WWJD, what would Jesus do thing. He says it's ludicrous. It's like saying, what would Michael Jordan do on the court? That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You're not Michael Jordan. And right. you haven't organized your entire life around being becoming the kind of person who could do what Michael Jordan or what Jesus would do. So yeah. a liturgy for us is a set of practices that we do when we all come together that forms us into the kinds of people who can even be open to do what Jesus is inviting us to do. And then that sends us into the week, not just on the fuel of that Sunday experience, but with these practices to say, all right, this week, as you continue to dot, dot, dot. Um, And so it's way more, what we're trying to do is move away from church as classroom or church as concert hall. And we're trying to move towards church as gymnasium and uh, training facility, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and along with gymnasium, the metaphor that I, I love to use is the garden. Um, yeah. Huh. Like, like that the soul, now it's got room for sun. It's got room for cloud, right. clouds. It's got room for certainty, uncertainty. Right, um, right. For, I like that. For failure, um, for wonder, for awe, for beauty. Um, yep. and, and again, not to point back at, at, at other ways. Um, but just for me and my personal story, and I think yours too, um, just giving, having this space, uh, to say, I don't know, yep. like, uh, yep. that there wasn't space for that, um, yep. in, in right. other ways. And so it's like, yep. yeah, I don't know. Um, and so for me, I've, I've, I've really developed the metaphor of the garden, which is a great way for me as I do, all different types of liturgical practices from the exam yeah. and uh, lesio, you know, and every, every which way you can go is to really just say, what's the state of my garden? What's the state of my sure. soul? Um, are things blooming? Yeah. Does something need to be tilled up? Yeah. You know, great questions. Yeah. Go ahead. And I, I was going to say, I actually like that in a deeper level. I like garden way more than gymnasium because of the, the organic, um, um, growing alive nature of things. Yeah. You know, obviously the gym breaks down pretty quickly. Um, but I love the idea of tending the garden. You can't make a single thing grow, but you can tend it yeah. so that things grow and don't get choked out by the weeds. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that analogy too. Gradually then suddenly. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, I want you to share with us the story of creating the practice at Willow Creek. Um, so you, uh, at some point, you had this idea of, hey, what if, what if we had a different gathering? What if, yeah. what if we brought um, some of the tradition that's thousands of years old uh, and, and brought it into the modern world? Um, you want to walk me through kind of that story and uh, that journey? Yeah. Yeah, 
it it started. Um, I was uh, one of the worship leaders for the weekend service at Willow for about four years. And just for people that are listening, how many people come to a service like that? Um, well, it's a, a sev- <laughs> yeah, it's a seventy two hundred seat auditorium, and we did three services. Wow! So it wasn't all. It wasn't full. You know, every seat wasn't full, but you know, eighteen thousand people or something like that on a weekend and. And so what I was trying to do is exactly what I was just explaining. I was, I was trying to say, great, we do worship as expression, and that is beautiful. And can we move into some more formative experiences? So I started bringing Catholic practices and started bringing scripture readings and uh, all sorts of things. And some of them worked, and some of them didn't work, and some of them, like anything, you'd need to begin practicing them over and over to really experience the the fruit of them. And um, so it's a real kind of mixed experience. I could talk to you hours about that whole yeah. thing. But um, finally, uh, maybe, yeah, four years in, our senior pastor, Bill Hybels, just pulled me aside and said, listen, we're never going to do the kind of things that you want to do on the weekend, <laughs> sir. He said, it's just not what the, our weekends are for. And I, I kind of appreciated the clarity, but I was still like, and, and what? <laughs> no. But was, was unbelievable. He said, but we know that people need them. Hmm. And he said, we know we're not doing enough for people who are trying to move deep into their faith. And he said, so would you consider pulling together a team and creating some sort of uh, uh, experience for those who really want to dig deeply? And so that was about was about four years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. And uh, so, yeah, we pulled together uh, a, a small team, and I, I feel like I called or drove or flew to meet with any smart person who would who would pick up my call. <laughs> Teach me. And just, yes, oh, man. And we just learned and learned and learned and read everything we could get our hands on. And then... Um, yeah, just about three years ago, started the first gathering and awesome. have been meeting most Sundays ever since. And uh, yeah, what, what I say every Sunday is we are a community that doesn't just want to believe things about Jesus, but is trying to learn how to rearrange our lives in order to put his words into practice for the sake of the world. Wow. So it's kind of a mouthful, but that that's the vision that we come together to learn how to put these words into practice. So Jesus says, um, forgive your enemies, bless those who curse you, love your enemies. Um, and I think any Christian would, would agree to that in our brains, of course. Yeah. But and then the enemy shows up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we want to crush them. Yeah. We want to exclude them. We want to keep them out of our country. We want to, like... Um, so, so, so we're, what's the difference? The difference in, is we haven't um, intentionally practiced the kinds of practices that allows God to make us into the kinds of people that can love our enemies. Yeah. And so one simple example there is about a year ago, especially as the this whole election process was starting to get rolling and it was already getting so nasty— we said, let's add another pillar to our liturgy. So we do the confession, silence, and assurance. And then we added a, 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 
a movement to that every Sunday, which is we are going to name and pray for the blessing of one of our enemies. Wow. So sometimes it was like an international enemy. Sometimes it was, you know, very often, especially in the political stuff, we uh, we did this a number of times. We put up a picture of Hillary's face and a picture of Trump's face and just said, odds are one of these people feels a bit like an enemy right now. So yeah. don't pray for the one you're for. Pray for the one that you're really feeling against. And don't pray that God changes them. Don't pray. Pray that God blesses their family. Pray that God protects their marriage. Total shift. Pray, pray for their kids. Like as humans, as people made in the image of God. And again, not uh, because of that moment, but say we do that 52 times in a year, how, how does that change our hearts? How does yeah. that reform our characters? And okay, I'm rambling now, yeah. but that's a little bit. No, that's a good word. That shifts, yeah. that shifts everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So what surprised you most about the practice? Wow. Um, well, I've been, um, really surprised by the the resonance, um, not necessarily inside Willow, but um, um, everywhere else. Hmm, yeah. Like, um, and not like while wow, the practice is great, you know, people don't people haven't visited, but when they hear kind of the why we're doing what we're doing, I hear so many like me too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on the same journey. Yeah. Like I can't do performance church anymore either. Like, um, there's gotta be deeper questions that, you know, you mentioned, what do I do with my doubts? What do I do with the fact that (laughs) I have a friend who says that he's an atheist about 11 months a year. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, I mostly believe that there's no God, but you know, every once in a while, I can't shake it. And boy, do I respect him. We have some of the most, um, honest and humble and beautiful conversations about life and reality and God. And, um, but there's just no space for those kinds of things Mm -hmm. in, in most of our churches and belief systems. And so there is, I mean, I have been shocked by people coming out of the woodwork all over the country, just saying, we're asking the exact same questions. So, You know, yeah. and I can't remember who said this, but it was through the lens of the Catholic faith. Yeah. And and someone said, you know, what we're doing here is we're setting a table for the whole world. And uh, and I was like, let's freaking go. Yeah, right, <laughs> I was right, like, right. I'm right. in. I mean, I am in yeah. uh, longer tables being greater than higher yep. fences. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, yep. all the mantras of there's always a seat left. There's always room. Yeah. Um, come one, come all. I I think that really is the heartbeat of what you're cultivating here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what we, we hope to cultivate, but you know, what's fascinating is when you start getting into these formative practices, a lot of people self-select out Hmm. and it's not, that's no criticism on them. Like that's, um, we have a lot of people visit and then, you know, when we sit for two minutes in silence, um, which two minutes doesn't sound like a lot until you're in it. <laughs> until you've gone two decades without two minutes of silence. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's it. Oh man, as a worship leader, I've been in four years. We didn't have a combined two minutes of silence. Yeah. 
Um, Which is, oh, so, by the way, the language of God. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, you start to think, like, what are we, what are we afraid of? Yeah. What are we afraid we'll hear? And um, so, uh, you know, one of my deep concerns when I started becoming aware of some of these is, is it possible that my very profession is working specifically and unintentionally against the work that God's trying to do in everyone who showed up at church. Wow. So it's, wow. it's pretty intense. That's very and, intense. And, yeah. And I'll say as someone who's done that, it was, that's never our goal. I Absolutely. Mean, Absolutely. Tons of pastors and people that I would actually really disagree with theologically or um, ecclesiologically or whatever, they have great hearts. I've still yet to meet a scoundrel. <laughs> that's like, let's distract people from God. Of course not. <laughs> um, but that that also doesn't mean that every pathway is going to get us there. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah. 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 So good. So I want to talk. This this was one of the most beautiful things, and I was sharing this with my wife last night. Um, that you guys make the Eucharist the center of everything, um, and so the practice is is. Um, you guys are in the round. Yep. Um, if if I am sitting on one side of the room and I look across the other side of the room and I see an individual sitting on the other side of the room, I must look through the Eucharist to see them. Through let, the table. Let's yep. go. I mean, just let yep. that, that's, that's enough. It. That's yeah. enough for me right there. Se- yeah. Secondly, if someone is up there speaking um, yes. or doing anything, you must look at them through the lens of the Eucharist, um, yep. which is like, hey, it's the bread and the wine. It's that the bread and yep. the wine's holy because everything's holy. Yep. Um, tell me, tell me what this has meant for you and, and the people you've led there. Oh man, it <clears throat> table at the center, both physically and theologically and practically in terms of the service. Um, has probably been the most formative uh, part of this whole experiment. And if I could be totally honest, as a lifetime um, evangelical worship leader, and you know, um, that has not always been the case. And when we started exploring this four years ago, um, the Eucharist kept popping up in all these different places, in all these different ways. And so when we started, we made a commitment to this, not understanding the depth of what we were getting ourselves into. But I mean, at this point, would never go back. We could change just about everything about the gathering and I would be okay. We could ne- we will never decenter the table. Love that. Love yeah. That. And you know what else is cool about that is it's not just whatever whoever's speaking whatever we're doing we're looking at through the table we're looking at them through the table and we're also looking at um all these other faces in the community. Mm-hmm. So I mean just the difference between in the round and darkened auditorium looking at someone on stage. Right. Like everything teaches, everything preaches. That's right. And there's so, your neighbor. Um, there's your neighbor. You <laughs> Staring look right at the you. Table. Yes, you look through the the cross, the bread, and the wine to see the person speaking, and to see your neighbor 
um, sitting behind them. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole story right yeah. there. You can't get away from it. I actually had a, a friend who um, loves the the big mega church type service also, but just made the comment like, man, being at the practice requires a lot from me. Hmm. And they commented, going to visiting another service requires nothing. Like I sit in a darkened room and watch this presentation and it's wonderful. And they weren't critiquing it, but they said it just requires nothing of me. Hmm. And going to the practice, you know, I have to, I have to really show up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you got to be present. You're going to be vulnerable. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, wow. Yep. Well, as a guy that's sucker for metaphors, um, that's dialed in. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, um, <clears throat> tell me about the work at a new liturgy.com. Um, yeah. cause, cause I know that this conversation for a lot of our listeners, they're going to be like, what are Ashton and Aaron even really talking about? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Li- liturgy practice, old ways, yep. old tradition. Yep. Um, tell me what you've done at a new liturgy.com. Yeah. The new liturgy was, was kind of the, the, for me, a, a little bit of a halfway house between the evangelical rock and roll service and the more, um, liturgical practice service. Um, and basically what, what, uh, myself and a couple friends have been trying to create and we're still working on it where I have like the next three all planned out. I just haven't made the time to, to do them. Um, is we want to create these 20 to 25 minute, um, experiences where you can, that you can use to create holy space anywhere. So they involve uh, music and songs and scripture and readings and space and questions and reflections. And basically it takes you on a journey. So one example is a new liturgy number five is called Here Are My Hands. Hmm. And the idea is it's a 15 minute on the way to work liturgy. And then a second one, a 15 minute on the way home from work liturgy. Love that. And yeah, we just thought like, well, you know, most of us have some sort of drive and we thought, what if in the morning, what are the prayers and songs and reflections that I need to focus on, on my way to work? And so we created something like that is a take my hand, take my life and let it be, you know, those kinds of prayers. And, and then what are the things I need to pray on the way home from work? And some of it was gratitude. Thank you, God, for work. Some of it was confession God, I lost my temper with so-and-so again. Uh, some of it was forgiveness. Some of it was just letting letting the day go so that I can return home to my family with a full heart. And um, so that's the idea. Uh, yeah. I, some of the things we've been saying is, you know, turn your car into a rolling sanctuary. Um, or I do what there's one based on the prayer of the examine that I partnered with my, my, uh, spiritual director is a Jesuit priest yeah. and he and I created this, uh, just an examine liturgy and I actually use it. I probably do it once a week on a run. We have a little bike trail in our neighborhood and so I'll, uh, I have it on my phone. So I'll listen to it and just go for a run and let it lead me in ways that if I was just let left to my own brain and my own devices, my brain, you know, my thoughts are all over the place, but this just helps me pray, helps me listen. And so, yeah, that's a new liturgy.com. We have six of them. And then this year I'd love to add two or three more. Awesome. So for, for those of, for those listeners here that, um, are a little curious or they're wondering, what are these two guys talking about? Um, this is a safe, great place to go. Uh, and if you're curious, 
click on one of these and carve out some time. Um, I think I, I, I know that if, if people will give themselves to the practice, like that's, it's called the yeah. practice for a reason. Right. Um, if you'll give yourself to the practice the first time, probably the first 20 times, you're going to be like, this is, this is difficult. Um, right. but you will eventually find a rhythm and even better than that, you will eventually find that carving this space out is so necessary. Yep. Um, I can tell in my days when I have not been still. Um, when I've not carved out those moments of silence, my temper's shorter. Um, yeah. I react yeah. more than I respond. Um, yeah. and it's a great place to go to. Um, so thank you for your work there. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're, yeah, you're welcome. <clears throat> so, uh, my favorite questions I always ask everybody, um, okay. what, what's currently keeping you curious? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say talking with and trying to learn from people who are really, really different from me. Interesting. Um, and I love getting together with friends who are on the same journey and those are really constructive and encouraging conversations. But man, I also love it. It's hard sometimes, um, um, saying, all right, help me understand why you voted for such and such person. Mm-hmm. Like, just help me understand. I don't want to debate. In fact, I won't even respond. Take me into the, take me into that decision. What? And it's uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm like, it confirms what I already believed, you know, <laughs> and other times it really stretches me to say, you know, you know what? <laughs> I haven't considered that entire uh, range of experience. Mm. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, when, uh, you know, when all this, uh, some of the more Muslim ban stuff happened last fall, I was just so heartbroken and as a Christian, just really embarrassed. And, and so I jumped online and Googled local mosque and found that there was a mosque like you know, three quarters of a mile from Willow Creek, our church, that I didn't even know about. Um, So I just shot him an email and said, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. I I can't imagine what it's like to be your community right now. And and so we started a friendship and um, with uh, a man, uh, Mohammed reached out and he came over to Willow and we had a coffee and and then we got our communities together at their mosque just to share stories and talk. And and check this out. One of the women there, as we were going around the circle to share, one of the women said, you know, this morning I told my daughters that I was going to meet with a group of evangelicals. And they begged me to not go because they were afraid for my safety. Wow. Wow. And we, we evangelicals who were there just sat there and... And listened and mm-hmm. said, you know what? That's they're not crazy for that fear, and I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, all that to say, last December, a couple months ago, we got um, their community and our community together, and invited two of our favorite rabbi friends to join us uh, in a living room. And again, we just said, what does it mean to walk together? Not to pretend we believe all the same things or not, you know, not to get into some mushy weirdness, but just to say as humans, yeah. as Americans, yeah. as people of faith, as um, what does it mean to walk together? And I mean, I, it was so 
profoundly meaningful for all of us. We're, we're trying to, we're still talking about it. And at the end of the night, we stood in a big circle in, in the living room. There's probably 20 or 30 of us. And um, we shared uh, a, uh, a Jewish blessing, uh, Rabbi Moffick shared, and then a, uh, a, a, a blessing from the uh, Muslim uh, faith, and he he, he actually uh, prayed it in Arabic, hmm. and then I just uh, shared the prayer of Saint Francis. May we be instruments of peace, and it was very very moving. So, love that. Love that. Yeah. So, a, be- a beautiful thing happens when a stranger becomes a friend. Totally. Yeah. And again, we don't have to pretend we we don't have differences. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can look our differences in the eye and mm-hmm. say, hey, you think this, I think this. Wonderful. We're humans. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh, be a loving force in the world rather than a divisive force in the world. So, yeah. Totally. yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self? Um, it would be some combination that probably sounds contradictory but is is hopefully more of something to hold intention and it would be be more gracious and push harder hmm. you know be um realize uh realize that everyone um realize that life is really hard. <laughs> so cut people that you disagree with some slack, yeah. but don't give up and don't slow down and don't keep pushing forward. So something about, um, keep, keep pursuing a new way, but be really kind to yourself and the people around you along the way. That's a good word. Love it. So, um, before we go, I saw last yeah. night that you signed your first book deal. Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah. I, I know we may be a little bit early to that, to that party, as you said, right. it's coming out in 2018. Um, yep. but, um, tell us just a little snippet. What are you working on there and when can we expect to, uh, uh, be able to get a copy? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, just this weekend, signed the actual contract uh, with Waterbrook, Multnomah, and they're going to publish it hopefully next spring. Awesome. The title is Learning to Swim, How a Practice-Based Faith Saved Me from Drowning. Hmm. And basically, it's a lot of the story that we've been talking about. And uh, growing up in kind of a, a more fundamentalist uh, perspective and then moving to a kind of megachurch evangelical experience and now moving into a more ecumenical, practice-based, um, Eucharistic uh, uh, kind of expression. And just some of the things I've learned along the way, uh, some of the things that I'm holding on to from how I grew up, some of the things that I am letting go of and kind of the messy journey along the way. So I'm really excited about it. I, I don't, you know, I've never written a book, so it could be terrible, <laughs> but man, do I believe in these ideas yeah. and 
the experience. So there's there's something to tell. We'll see if I can tell it well. Yeah. Well, man, I'm I'm super stoked for you, and uh, yeah. I know you've got a beautiful journey and story to share with us. Um, so thank you for that. For those of yeah. us that want to follow you and your work, uh, yeah. where's the best place for us to direct our listeners your way? Yeah, well, you can check out A New Liturgy at anewliturgy.com. That's where those six currently are right now. I think okay. you can listen to all of them, stream them all for free, and then uh, uh, you can you can buy them, you can order them too right from the website. Cool. Um, and then social media, uh, Facebook, Aaron Nequist, uh, Twitter, Aaron Nique, A-A-R-O-N-I-E-Q. Um, and then I'm working on my website right now, AaronNequist.com is, has all the info. It's, it's a little outdated. So that's one of my spring projects. Um, want to update all that. You got so, a lot going on, bro. A lot going on, <laughs> trying to organize it and figure out how it all becomes one story instead of five different stories. So, yep. yeah. I love it, man. Well, yeah. uh, if you if you figure that out, please email me how to do that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Because um, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Yeah, aren't we all? Yeah. I, uh, hey, man, I'm so grateful for you, your work in the world, for Shauna's work. Um, y'all are a beautiful couple doing beautiful things. Um, and we are in your corner. We're for you guys. And uh, yeah. we just thank you for your good and necessary work. Uh, thanks so much. And thanks for uh, inviting me to share some of this stuff. So it's been great to chat with you. Absolutely, man. I hope we can get yeah. you back on uh, for a second interview when the book comes out. Indeed. Okay. We love it. All right, man. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Blessings okay. to you. We'll talk soon. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Aaron as much as I did. Make sure you go to AaronNequist.com or also visit AnewLiturgy.com to where you can find those beautiful recordings that he's put together. I know they'll be a great light in your life. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits, encouraging further exploration and reflection. Holsty's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holsty Manifesto was called The Next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holsty subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holsty.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holsty subscription.